Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Hey there, gay husbands, bi wives, and straight people whose marriages miraculously survived on Friday morning. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. <laughs> hello, hello, and hi, everybody. How you doing? Hope your week was fantastic. Uh, man, what to talk about so much. Today, I, you know, I wanted to talk this week about Hot Girls Wanted because I finally watched it. But uh, in lieu of recent events, if you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> uh, th- there's something else I want to I share with you guys. I didn't, I didn't witness a typical marriage growing up. Uh, my parents separated and got back together five different times before they finalized their divorce. And this took like over the better part of a decade. Okay. And, and even after they divorced and mom got her check, uh, they would, they would still go through bouts of dating or, or hooking up, uh, which is weird. <laughs> even when they were married, like the concept of divorce, it felt like held over the family's head. It was this menacing word tossed out frivolously in arguments. It was like just to scare me and my sisters. Because like when you're 12, divorce and infidelity are things you know happened to kids, uh, families down the block, but didn't happen to your family until it happened to you. So, so marriage never really seemed like something too sacred to me. You know, getting married seemed like a religious step, uh, an act of obligation, or, which has been my viewpoint for most of my short adulthood, a legal agreement granting tax breaks and hospital visitation. An agreement that nearly any two people, nearly, could just enter out of stupidity, deceit, or love. What do you expect? I'm a jaded stand-up comedian. Uh, of course, I think it's, uh, it's, I think it's any pair of idiots right to get married. I do. So I'm obviously thrilled at the Supreme Court's decision on Friday, outlawing same-sex marriage bans nationwide. Yeah. Now more idiots can do it. No. Uh, but seriously, I was, I was overjoyed uh, when I saw a tweet with the headline, and then I was even more tickled to know it wasn't just clickbait. Uh, SCOTUS finally stopped blue-balling us about their ruling in the case of Obergefell versus Hodges. And, and now... Now... Same-sex marriage doesn't directly affect me either way. You know, I, I am a, come on, I am a straight, white, cis guy with a college education and a podcast. Most social justice issues don't directly affect me, all right? I can get married to a person I love if someone would finally love me back. Uh, I, I don't have to worry about getting turned down for an apartment because of the way I was born. Cops won't mistake my cell phone for a gun. And even if I was waving a gun, right, there's a good chance I'll just get arrested alive, all right? I have it pretty good. So why was I overwhelmed uh, with emotion on Friday afternoon? You see, I, I felt the usual wave of fee-fees I get in any major decision that promotes equality and common sense. Uh, but I, being the geek or dork that I am, uh, I actually read Justice Kennedy's 50-some-odd-page majority opinion. I got to say, this guy must have been a poet in another lifetime. Oh, man. It's a lot of legalese, but then there are these like random groupings of beautiful language. Like even in the beginning of the opinion, um, it reads, The history of marriage is one of both continuity and change. Changes such as the decline of arranged marriages and the abandonment of the law of coverture 
have worked deep transformations in the structure of marriage, affecting aspects of marriage once viewed as essential. These new insights have strengthened, not weakened, the institution. Changed understandings of marriage are characteristic of a nation where new dimensions of freedom become apparent to new generations. Okay, maybe maybe that's not... Maybe that's not all that poetic. I get it. Um, but I find logic and reason to be fabulous and inspiring. I mean, I guess I guess that's like artsy for lawyers. Uh, but, but Kennedy talked about the history of marriage. And he acknowledged how it used to be about property and money or politics. He writes how, uh, it, how it has evolved from a, quote, male-dominated legal entity, unquote, to like a union between two equals. And at least... Now, I, I never had this burning desire to get married myself. Um, I've imagined that one day it's possible that I'm in love with someone who makes me want to commit long-term to her and that the legal binding would be both beneficial and symbolic. It's not something I was seeking, but something I was open to. After seeing my parents' marriage, along with countless marriages of kids around me growing up, it was not an institution I was rushing to become a part of, okay? And then Kennedy writes a couple lines that make me take pause. I read this and I get tingles. I get jingles. People, I got fifis, all right? I got them. And, and it made me view marriage in a, in a bit of a different light. Kennedy, he, um, he explained the vast history of marriage and, and how it has played a role in not just our society, like our American society, but in human civilization as a whole. And even though it's not all been good, all right. At least in the last few hundred years, there's been a bit more love and romance injected into taking a spouse. At one point, he writes, marriage responds to the universal fear that a lonely person might call out only to find no one there. It offers the hope of companionship and understanding and assurance that while both still live, there will be someone to care for the other. I get, I get a little... I get buzzed reading that. Because, um, listen, if you listen to the show, if you've listened long enough, you know that uh, the man whore here is, isn't always physically lonely, if you know what I mean. But um, definitely lonely. I'm definitely lonely, guys. I want that partner in crime, that special someone, you know, a, a woman who will be my everything, my world, and I hers. Who maybe comes with me to a sex party or fucks in public once in a while or something like whatever. Um, what I'm trying to say is marriage may or may not be in the cards for me. I don't know yet. But I never really thought about marriage too much after seeing what my parents went through and knowing the statistics. I used to not understand the need for it other than legal benefits. But reading Kennedy's ruling enchanted me with the beauty, safety, and dignity of marriage in our society. His, his, the importance it has to so many. His words reminded me how important this idea is to many people, how fundamental it is to so many that I was able to set aside rational thought and experience empathy, this unknown feeling, which as you'll hear later in this episode is a word I've only just really learned the definition of. Uh, it was like watching a Tom Hanks movie, but like times a million. I felt not just the joy that most of the nation felt knowing that our brothers, sisters, friends, weird uncles, gay bosses, and queer theater neighbors could finally enjoy the misery that can be marriage. I felt also what it might be like to want marriage. And it just, it just felt so, 
promising, secure, hopeful, amazing. Not wanting marriage, but just the idea of what it might feel like to want that. I know marriage isn't the answer to being alone. And I know that being married doesn't mean you're not alone. I know that, and I, and I know that you can, you know, you can feel forever binded to your partner, even without having a legal document to show for it. I get that. But, but it being one of the oldest systems of civilized man, it's still an insanely important ideal that countless human beings aspire to. And it must be nice to know uh, that you can finally participate with the other homo sapiens who've taken part in it over the last few thousand years. And I feel for you. So congratulations if Friday uh, helped you. I'm very happy to see this. And I can only imagine what it feels like to to older generations because y'all have been fighting for this type of shit uh, long, way long before, long before I was born. I have a buddy who wrote a big, long epic who he was in his mid twenties here in New York city in the eighties back when like, you know, same sex marriage wasn't even a thought back when they were just trying to not die. So it, uh, that, that feeling I can't imagine. I do encourage, um, if you have a spare few hours, read the, uh, the majority ruling, uh, from the, from the SCOTUS case. It, it's pretty cool. Uh, also, if you have extra time, you can read, uh, the dissent from chief Roberts. And if you want to have a giggle, you can read Scalia's cause you know, he's a silly guy who likes to stamp his feet. And now, uh, now for more celebratory things, let's do that. Yes. It's time for the Patreon impersonal. Thank you. Roll call. Yes, you know it. It's that segment. It's that time of the show. Um, this is the time where I say thank you to all the patrons of the Man Whore Podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's kind of like an ongoing Kickstarter. You know, there's different little reward levels that you get depending on how much you're pledging, uh, how much you're giving to the show. One of those little perks is a, is an inclusion in the thank you roll call at the beginning of every show. So right now I want to say uh, thank you so much to Ian K, Sophia L, Sarah B, Nelly H, Krista Ann, Jazz O, Megan N, Jeff C, Dervla, Jennifer C, Ramon F, Justin C, SB, Lauren A, The Keezy Show, Mary G, Madeline B, Dave K, and Pantsless Lance. Thank you all so much for uh, contributing and supporting the show. And you too can support the Man Whore Podcast and receive a slew of great rewards. Uh, you can pledge for as low as 25 cents a month and you can cancel at any time. To uh, become a patron, just go ahead and visit patreon.com slash Podcast, Or you can go to manwhorepod.com, click the Patreon banner on the side. It really helps me uh, improve the show. It really helps me cover my operating costs. You know, I actually even uh, upgrade. I got myself... With the page, thanks to you, the listeners, I was able to get a desktop boom mic. Uh, so, because a, a lot of my guests are people who are not used to being on a microphone, uh, so here I can just you know, boop, plug the microphone right into it, position it in front of their face, and boom, they can just focus on you know being open and chilling and hanging out. So uh, that was really nice. I was able to do because of you, the listeners. And, and I got to say a holy shit special fucking thank you to Stephanie. You know who you are. 
Uh, I don't really know who you are, but you know who you are. Uh, I, I got, thank you for the headphones. Unbelievable. Um, I, I put, I tweeted out like, Hey guys, my pet need new podcast headphones and, and include a link to my Amazon wish list. Not expecting anything. And then today in the fucking mail, there's a, there's a box outside my apartment with two new, very nice pairs of headphones for me and my guests. So thank you, Stephanie. I I don't know really what to say. I'm kind of blown away right now. Uh, so thank you so much. If you can't afford to um, contribute to the Man Whore Podcast financially or support it, I understand times are tough. Here's a free way to help support the podcast. Uh, share it with a friend. Yes, make sure you are subscribed to the Man Whore Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to the show. And then go ahead, steal your friend's phone and subscribe them as well. Tell them, listen, man, there's this, there's this show. It's called Man Whore. Yeah, I know it's a title. I don't like it either. But if you listen to him for 10 minutes, you'll know he's a good guy. And uh, you can help convert people as well. And I'd really appreciate it. So thank you in advance. Um, how was my week? My week was otherwise pretty cool. Um, you know, not much to complain about. I went to Pride. Uh, I went to the Pride March here in New York City. That was awesome. Uh, oh, shout out to Dakota and his band, uh, Little Yellow Dog. Yeah, I got a message be like, hey, man, we're going to be in town with my band. Want to hang out? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. Come to a gay bar with me during Pride. So uh, th thank you, Dakota, for hanging out. That was a, a very nice time. It was a fun way for me to spend my afternoon. What better way than hanging out with fan whores? You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> and my week was also amazing because it included talking to Kate McCombs. Who's that, everybody? She is a sex educator. She's got my dream job. And she uh, she let me come on over to her swanky place and uh, and pick her brain a little. Amazing woman. Such a sweetheart. Holy shit. Uh, and super smart and just awesome. And I'm just, ugh, I'm all about her right now. So I'm going to I'm gonna shut my whore mouth and let you just get into the episode because she's really awesome. Uh, so here, here's me with uh, Kate McCombs, the... A master of sex. Are you ready for the Unleashed Tour, where shamelessness, sexiness, and laughter collide in a hilarious orgy of fun, discovery, and sex edutainment? Embark on a captivating nationwide journey with the Shameless Sex Podcast and an electrifying ensemble of sex educators and sex-positive entertainers as they bring you an unforgettably titillating live experience. Be a part of mesmerizing, entertaining, boundary-pushing acts, Shameless Sex Style. Ever heard of the Slurpee Stick Shift? Want to learn how to bury your face in her? How about some dirty talk improv or brat taming 101? Hmm. Get ready for nonstop laughter as our charismatic hosts and entertainers weave humor into the fabric of this liberating celebration of sexual diversity and freedom. Engage in interactive segments, Q&A sessions, and a chance to connect with like-minded individuals in an inclusive and empowering environment. Listen up, Portland, Chicago, Seattle, we're coming to you. For more information and to get your tickets right now, go to shamelesssex.com and be part of a night that will be fun, educational, sexy, hilarious, and shamelessly unforgettable. Seats are filling up fast, so don't miss out on the most unforgettable show of the year. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. 
Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I think I'm remembering this from when I did the podcast with Sandra. She 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 told me to get intimate with it. Get get intimate with the microphone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's definitely a good way to go about it. But Awesome. Well, well, thank you for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Uh we're we're here with Kate McCombs. I'm am I saying that right? You are. Okay, you are. cool. Um and and you are a sex educator. I am. You're like you have like my dream day job. <laughs> It's my dream day job too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like if I had to imagine the thing to support comedy with, that's like my dream uh, gig. <laughs> well, I mean, it seems like a natural pairing. Be- being able to be entertaining as well as educational, I think is a fabulous combination of skills. Have you, have you experienced that when you do your workshops? Like when you started, did you realize like I got to put a performance element in or? I think I was always doing that. I mean, I, I, part of the reason why I do this work is that it it was something that came really naturally to me. My Uh mom was a professional public speaker and trained people how to do it. So it was always this thing that I grew up with having a sense of how to do. Um, I mean, I've obviously refined it, but it was, I I always kind of recognized it as a bit of performance, not just straight up education. Mm -hmm. So yeah. How, how there's like so many, uh, like why and how, and when did you become this? And, yeah, sure, totally. <laughs> like, I, I, this is like I don't know. Is there internships for being a sex educator? Like, how does there that are, happen? There are. I mean, it's a. It's definitely a, a kind of a difficult path to navigate because there's uh-huh. not an occupational outlook or something for how to be a sex educator. I've, I've googled many times how to become a sex educator. Never is there an answer. <laughs> yeah, I wrote. I, I have an article on my on my blog about my tips for becoming a sex educator because mm-hmm. it's something that I'm passionate about is helping other people kind of navigate it because it can be so confusing and opaque and um Mm. but it's something people are obviously passionate about and i was passionate about but the way it started i mean i i sort of described myself as always having been a sex educator i just didn't know what it was called and didn't know i could get paid to do it okay so i mean i remember being 10 years old and teaching my friends about their periods really yeah really had you even had your period at 10 yet but you (laughs) were like listen ladies something's gonna happen and we got to be ready well, it was, it was it was more often in response to their panic, and uh-huh. um, so I my mom was this amazing sex educator for me, and she she gave me awesome instruction, and, and it, like I was really clear on all of these facts about biology and reproduction and how it all worked, and I didn't realize until I started hearing from other people that this was not something that everybody's mom was doing. How, how old are we when she's giving you talks? Uh, I mean, it, was, it was an ongoing conversation. And this was exclusively mom? Was dad like, eh, I'm not... Dad was not as much involved. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> this was pretty exclusively mom. Uh, so, I mean, I think the when I was four, I was asking where babies came from, and she oh. explained that a baby grows in the womb. Like, I understood that it wasn't in Not tummy, yeah. Yeah. So she's, you know, age-appropriate vocabulary building. And I think she explained the whole sperm and egg thing to me when I was about six or seven. 
Where, where are we growing up when when the, if in I can California? Ask? Okay, very yeah. totally progressive. <laughs> A little more progressive. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So I anyway, I was sort of empowered with this knowledge from my mom that other people didn't have, and when they would have questions about you know what the hell is going on with my body, mm. I'd be able to explain it to them and and basically bust myths and things like that, like ideas that they had about what was happening that was obviously not what was happening. And then as I got older and got better information, um, the, the questions became more about things like safer sex or masturbation and orgasm and things like that. Like in high school, I was answering those sorts of questions. You were answering them? Yeah. Because mo- mom already answered them. Yeah. Well, in the time, by the time I was in high school, you know, I didn't really want to talk to my mom about that stuff. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, wow. Okay. And so then college, you're... Yeah. So college was when it really started to get legit. So I, I went to Berkeley and they had a, a university peer education program for, mm. for students to get trained as peer educators to go deliver workshops on campus to other students about sexual health. So I discovered that program and kind of became obsessed. Like I, I remember seeing that program on the website and just my eyes getting huge. It's like, that's me. That is so what I want. Right. Wearing the condom costume on the plaza in front of everyone. <laughs> the yeah. condom costume? There was a condom costume. And a, and a KY jelly costume, too. It's not a great lube, but the condom was great. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> or the uh, the costume was great. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so anyway, through that program, I met mentors that um, they had guest speakers come in to talk to the group of us. And uh, through that, I'm the, connecting with them. They were able to uh, teach me about sort of the more professional aspects of being a sex educator. And one mentor in particular, Ivy Chen, um, really connected with me and she really took me under her wing and let me shadow her and really taught me a lot about the business aspects of it. Okay. And so, and so like right out of college, you're, you know, that's yeah, what you're doing. Even before I graduated, I was getting some gigs. <sighs> okay. Yeah. So what's a gig? What is just like colleges and cause you do workshops both for like students so I'm assuming it's just college. You're not doing high schools, are you? Or I was some in the high beginning. Okay. Yeah, when I was in college, I was uh, I did some gigs at high schools, and okay. I've, I've done that. It tends to be more, slightly more enlightened high schools. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> and I've even taught younger. Like I've done puberty education for fifth graders before. Oh, it's not something I do anymore. I mostly focus on adults now. Right. And uh, well, I was going to say, is there a difference between? Um, do you see a difference between the way people come in adults versus like college students, high school students? Like they come into a workshop, does an adult kind of be like, I know about sex, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, totally. I think I think you have to approach it in a way that doesn't make people feel ashamed for being there and wanting to learn stuff. Because there's, there's an incredibly unfair expectation that we put on adults to know everything about sex magically when they turn 18. Mm. And very few of us learn anything that remotely prepares us for our adult sex lives when we're younger. Yeah. So if you don't seek adult sex education, how are you ever going to learn about this stuff? So that that's something that, you know, I have to be mindful of that kind of emotional component to how vulnerable it can be to show up to an adult sex educational environment. Mm-hmm. And like all over the country, like people have like, there's some sort of outlet they could go find some sort of sex ed workshop as an adult. What, what are like the various reasons people usually end up like going to one of these workshops? Not just like topic wise, but like what, what type of persons go into these usually? Uh, I don't think it's any one type of person. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's often people who are, I think, characterized by their curiosity. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's something that seems to be a theme throughout. People are, who are curious about learning more about their bodies and how they can kind of upgrade their sex life in various ways. Um, and then I think there's, I think people who are pursuing that kind of education online is just kind of across the board. Right. 
Well, that, yeah, I mean, then that's the problem because everyone goes online and finds five different answers for the same question. And the the quality Ugh. of this, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's never it's never any good, uh, <laughs> never any good. Uh, I mean, what was like the most shocking thing for you when you started? Like when you really, I mean, I didn't realize you were so well informed by like seven. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, was there anything that when you really started getting into it that really shocked you, or like? You know, you were like, wait, no way. When you were doing like your research and, and getting your degrees and whatnot. Oh, that's a great question. Like what blew your mind the most in your in your adult learnings? <sighs> you know, to be honest, the thing that blows my mind the most is really it, it comes down to the basics, like the 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 lack of understanding that most that many adults have about the basics of human sexuality and pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, that That's something that uh, always surprises me in my work. I don't think there's ever been something I've learned sexually that just completely blew my mind. There's been some sad things, like the research on how many how many women are experiencing pain during sex. Like it's oh, yeah, really yeah. high numbers, and that's, that's alarming. But nothing kind of sensationalist, and oh my God, I can't believe people do that. I think I- I didn't know the clitoris was that long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just kind of whoa this is amazing and i get excited about it it's you know less about that okay okay do you think stuff like the you know women who are experiencing pain a lot there do you think a lot of that comes from they don't realize that sex is supposed to be for pleasure or like can be for pleasure oh, i think that's definitely part of it i think we have a lot of cultural tapes around sex is not this you know supposed to be painful for women. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially around the first time people have sex, I think a lot of people don't realize that that's not inevitable. Yeah, like your first penis and vagina experience or you know sex toy and vagina experience doesn't have to be painful. Often, one of the reasons why that is painful is because um, she's not sufficiently aroused, mm -hmm. or you know there's not enough lubrication happening, things like that. It's not because of the hymen. Yeah. I mean, I because one of the things I one of my soapboxes I carry around quite often is the lack of comprehensive sex ed in this country. I I went to a boarding school where I had zero sex ed. I didn't have abstinence only. It just never happened. Like I'm for four years. We didn't even do the biology stuff. You know what I mean? And wow. Yeah. Uh, so I went to college very unprepared. And, right. And so as soon as I got to college, I mean, I didn't even know how to put a condom on. Like I when I lost my virginity, like right after high school. Uh, the girl gets the condom. She hands me. I'm like, you're going to have to do that because I don't know. I don't know how to do it. Well, that's awesome that you could advocate for your own needs that way. Oh, yeah. But that was so <laughs> embarrassing. Plus, it was like, you know, like with some girl who I was already weird about having sex with in the first place. And, and, I'm, and I'm like, well, you're going to have to do this. And it was like, ugh. I was like, why didn't I get taught that? So I wrote like angry emails to my headmistress. My freshman year of college, man, <laughs> you need to get fucking sex ed in that place. I didn't even know there were this many STDs out there. I thought there was like three, and there's like a whole page. Like, you guys didn't prepare me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, this, this is something I hear all the time in nearly every workshop I teach is, mm -hmm. you know, somebody wishes they'd learned something earlier. Sure. I actually, I just started a series on my blog <clears throat> about uh, things people wish they'd learned, and I've invited some uh, of the sex educators and other awesome folks that I know to contribute to the series and and describe something that they really wish that they'd learned sooner mm -hmm. that would have made a difference in their sexual health and relationship well-being. And it's something that I'm hoping to continue because I think that's that's such an important thing to acknowledge that, you know, we learn these things by trial and error often and, and learn them later in life when it would have been really awesome to learn them about 10 years earlier. Sure, sure. Especially when the errors are like, you know, like lifelong consequence errors, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I think I think having having that as your soapbox is a is a good good thing to to get get on board with. 
Well, the thing I would love to see, and I, it's like, cause I want to know what's it going to take. I mean, I know first we have to have like sex ed just nationwide, but I would love to see sex ed for pleasure taught like in like later high school years. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's difficult to teach people the difference between what a yes looks like and what a no looks like. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're not teaching about what that yes really looks like, which is entirely about pleasure. Right. Yeah. And, and that's completely missing. This was actually this, this idea of pleasure, inclusive STI prevention. Mm -hmm. That's what I did my master's thesis on. It's something I'm super passionate about. Yes. Wait, so you did a master's to get, um, you were being, you were a sex educator and then you went and got your master's out. What does one get their master's in to like be a sex educator? Is there just (laughs) like a sec, I'm a master of sex. It's, I'm. (laughs) There's a lot of different directions people go in. I'm a sex master. I'm a sex master. Have you ever said that? Have you ever just been like, I'm a sex master and no big deal. (laughs) I haven't said that, but maybe I should start saying that. Put on the resume. Yeah. That'd be good for my business cards, right? (laughs) Yeah, so Kate I Kate McCombs sex master. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I I think I I would more like the approach of teaching other people how to be their own sex masters mm-hmm. like um so I, I, I chose to get a master's in public health because I really like the public health approach to sexual health in general. It's this, this comprehensive sex ed, for example, is sure. very much a public health-based approach, this idea of an upstream approach to preventing consequences later on. So that appealed to me. And, and also just kind of simply the people who were doing the kind of work I wanted to do had master's of public health. And so that seemed like a rational reason to choose that course. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, what... So you have this thing called sex geekdom, which yeah. I found uh, quite fun and fascinating. And I went and joined uh, right away myself. And Yeah, I saw you posting on the board there. Yeah, I was like, hey, somebody be my friend. <laughs> 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 um, so what is sex geekdom? Yeah, so I started sex geekdom when I was doing my master's degree. Um, so I, I did it in Melbourne, Australia at the University of mm-hmm. Melbourne there. And I even though I was studying public health, uh, there and there were other people taking sexual health courses within my program, I felt a little bit isolated as, as a sex geek, someone who just ravenously wants to learn about all things related to human sexuality. And there were a lot of people who were clinicians, like they were really into reading articles about chlamydia and gonorrhea, Mm -hmm. but not so much into the behavioral aspects of human sexuality more holistically. Mm. So I really wanted to hang out with other folks who wanted to have the same kind of conversations that I had and who didn't think I was a weirdo or was hitting on them because I wanted to have those conversations. Right. So I invited all of the sex geeks that I knew in Melbourne to come hang out with me. And I was like, I think I want to call this thing sex geekdom and, and see if people were into it. And they came and people really liked it. And, um, we, I made a website and, and it just was something that really took off. People found it helpful and nurturing to have that kind of community and to feel seen for their sex geekiness without it being something that was problematized or being labeled a pervert. Right. And so after, after a few months of running it in Melbourne, um, it was something that people in other cities had heard about because I shared about it on social media. And then we started an LA hub and I was visiting LA cause I have family there mm. and I helped them get them started on having a hub there. And now it's grown to dozens of cities now in a bunch of different countries and all having sex geeky meetups on a regular basis. So do you have to be like a sex educator to be a sex geek or like do do you have a lay person just shows up? It's like, I just like talking about this stuff. My friends think I'm weird. (laughs) 
Because I feel like that would have been me pre-podcast being like, yeah, no, just people keep thinking I'm a weirdo by talking about this. Yeah, no, totally. You can be a lay person and be into it. We just have, we have sex geekdom, essential values that people have to adhere to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, you know, things about it being an inclusive space and it not being a hookup space. That's something yeah. that we found really important because a lot of the, especially women that I was hearing from that were sex geeks were telling me that sometimes it felt uncomfortable to go to certain sex positive events that where it was kind of expected to sexually participate or that you at least were kind of on the market if you were attending that it was like fair game to at least make a pass yeah yeah and Mm. and you know i mean i think we can all like take responsibility for our nose but i think the idea of having a space where that's just kind of off the table and it's purely about discussion right is something people have given me a lot of positive feedback about that they like right because i you know because i mean we both have friends who go to and you go to uh, right. obviously these conferences and i'll hear right. about like you know the the after workshops right <laughs> parties uh and i'm like those sound fun but it, it seems like a lot of them participate in that type of thing and Right, which is yeah. totally, totally great, and you know, and and I'm like, I don't participate in those things, but I've been invited to them. And you've been like to the like you've been invited to the Catalyst Con orgy, and you're exactly. like, oh no, thank you. It's or sometimes <laughs> I go and like to the intro part of it, you know, like before everybody takes their clothes off. Because right. sometimes there's like a orgy foreplay where they're just sitting around and having good conversation, and then somebody <laughs> gets naked. And I'm like, okay, I'm out. I'll see you guys later. Have a great time. As <laughs> you know, it's funny. So um, I'm I'm at this open mic. It's like a storytelling open mic. Um, you know the Delancey? Yeah. You know yeah. Jefferson? No, I don't. No, okay. So Jefferson runs, he's this like sex storyteller and he runs like a storytelling open mic. I have a buddy of mine, Nick, comes with me. Uh, we're downstairs in the basement of the Delancey where they're doing the mic. <laughs> upstairs was Poly Cocktails, the, that polyamorous like monthly meetup group um, at the upstairs portion of this bar. And I tell Nick, oh yeah, this thing called Poly Cocktails upstairs. So he keeps me like, Billy, come with. He's a little younger than me. He's like, Billy, come with me up to the Poly Cocktails. I'm like, you go. I'm here for. I'm. I'm thinking of my story. He's like, no, come with me. I was like, you go yourself. You're an adult. Like, go. So he he leaves. Like ten minutes later, he comes back downstairs and he just sits down, just like all like not mopey, but just like hmm. like he looks disappointed. I'm like, I was like, so how was how was Poly Cocktails? He's like. It was just a bunch of fucking people talking at a bar. I'm like, yeah, they're not fucking like right there. It's- <laughs> what was he expecting? <laughs> I think he was a. F- I think he was expecting a fuck party at the bar. Like, <laughs> yeah, we've had a couple people show up to sex geek sex geekdom events, kind of thinking that as well, and needing to clarify really quickly, like, like- grasping condoms and a vibrator. It's like, I'm here. I'm ready. <laughs> Not quite that enthusiastic, <laughs> but just kind of like, oh, where where's the sex happening? There's sex in the name. There must be sex happening. See the guy with the mustache in old school is like, yeah, I'm here for the gangbang. You're not you're no. not you're not far <laughs> off actually. You're not far off. But I mean, I think as we've as we've kind of gotten clearer and making sure like the essential values are posted in all of our online spaces right? and it's gotten like better admin, like we've had less of that, which is nice. <laughs> Cool. So is there like a point person at each of the, like, do I have to ask for a person when I show up? Yeah, yeah. So each of the hubs are run by, we, we call them emissaries. Do you run the uh, New York one? I do with the, with Dirty Lola. Do you know her? Uh, I know of her. I see yeah. her name quite often. Yes, uh, she's my co-emissary. We have not met in the real world yet. We have uh, interacted in the digital space uh, several times. I suspect that you would enjoy each other. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so you got sex geekdom, and then you're doing these workshops. What's your favorite workshop to do? Oh gosh, that's a tough one. I love all the workshops I do. Of course, I know. Um, I know. It's we like, all what's love... your favorite children? Or yes, but we all child. have a favorite child. Okay? Um, <laughs> and it was I think... not me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'd probably say uh, the sexual communication workshops that I teach. Okay. I mean, there's kind of a few under that umbrella, but whenever I get to teach people about actually how to have conversations about sex and how to how to manage their sex adjacent feelings and things like that. Is this like communication like during sex or like the pre-sex, post-sex conversation? The whole thing. Whole thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So just I I it's something that I've come up against a lot in my work with with sexual health. Um, I mean, I taught sexual health uh, workshops for for years about mm -hmm. safer sex, and I still I still do these workshops. But something that I found was really missing in people's education was how to actually talk about this stuff. I'd get so many questions about how do I talk to my partner about this or that, and people just don't have the kind of the linguistic fluency to to have those conversations with their partners, even when they're otherwise intelligent adults. Which is amazing because most of those conversations are so simple. How do I tell him to? To slow down. Well, that, see, what you do is um, you're gonna you're gonna say, "Slow down." <laughs> yep, exactly. You're like, "What? No way!" <laughs> so you've got your workshops stick all <laughs> sorted out. I think this is great. You should teach this. I don't know. I think I just have bits <laughs> that like I can't do on a stage, but I can do one on one on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just need to like co coordinate all your bits and you know and line them up, and then you got a workshop. One, yeah, one day, one day. <laughs> I don't know. Trying, trying. <laughs> what, I mean, wait, so. Wait, what kind of public speaking did your mom do, if I can ask? Yeah, no, of course. She she taught, she, it was in education. She, she was an educational consultant. So she she did stuff around bilingual education and training teachers how to teach kids who didn't have English as their first language. Okay, okay. Totally outside my <laughs> realm of... I was just saying, yeah. well, because like, I mean, I, um, I talked to this burlesque dancer, and it uh -huh. turned out that her mother used to do, a, oh, oh no, it was both her parents, both her parents together, they had a radio show, like, I think in like the 50s. Oh, wow. It was an erotic radio show. It was it was basically like erotica, but over the radio. Oh, wow. And they used to run this, they do a full on radio show, like a late night sex talk show, I guess. It was weird. <laughs> wow. I was like, no way. I was like, how fitting for a burlesque dance. I can't imagine my mom doing it. She was she was very clear about me wanting a better experience, a more sex positive sex educational experience than she had. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think the the idea of doing that would totally make her blush. Like I, I send her articles to edit sometimes. Like she's an awesome editor and okay. she'll she'll do that for me. She's retired. She's got some time on her hands. Yeah. And and it's so funny because she'll kind of with some of my articles, she'll kind of blush a little bit about the the content, even though she She's you like, know, well you uh <laughs> When you say rimming, do you mean like the noun or the verb? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what's like one? What do you think is probably the most important? I mean, not to like give your whole workshop for free, but what what, no. what do you think is like the most important thing for sexual communication? That if you had to give a person one pointer, mm, that's such a good question. Because um, I get email, I get emails like asking like very similar like communications oriented questions. I would say that, you know, whether you're single or in a relationship, making sure that you make space for meaningful conversations about sex in your life in general, like with your friends, you know, with your partner, mm -hmm. so that you get comfortable with that language, so that when you get naked or you're having an emotionally vulnerable conversation in some way, at the very least, that vocabulary comes more naturally to you. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, whoa, out of nowhere, you're being expected to talk about sex. 
Because right. I, I think that's unusual for most people. They might talk about sex in kind of a sensational way mm-hmm. or a funny way or about some celebrity who's doing someone, you know, that sort of stuff. But actually having meaningful conversations about sex, like what you think about certain things and how they make you feel. Talk and, about it as a concept rather than as like um, specific experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And and just making sure you build that vocabulary and, and have sort of curiosity about sex in general. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's one one tip I would give. Oh, I'm sure you have many tips. Yeah. When did you did you always uh, did you always feel like your own sexual literacy like was overlapping with with what you were learning, or did you ever feel like you were catching up to what you were learning? Uh, Again, you were always like really ahead of the horse. I mean, seven. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, the sex master at seven, she's <laughs> very wise beyond her years. Um, Hardly. It was like it was like I knew about maxi the- pads at seven. Okay. Like that was about the extent of it. <laughs> right. So did you see Sex Ed the, on Netflix yet? Uh, no, Haley I haven't. Joel seen- I actually really like it. I think it's really good. It's it's smart. It's a comedy. And Haley Joel Osment plays a, we're going to just say, a very sexually inexperienced person who gets thrown into doing a sex ed class in like Tampa. And do, but he, so he was, a, he was teaching things he hadn't even experienced yet. So he felt almost not qualified. Did, in your earlier years as a sex educator, did you ever feel like, oh, I'm, t- I'm talking about these things, but I haven't even had that conversation oh, I see what with you a mean. person. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I don't think I ever felt that way because I, I was always teaching where I was at. You know, I'm, I'm teaching different things now than okay. I did at the beginning of my career. And, you know, I think I, I didn't ever feel like I needed to teach things that were super beyond where I was at. I mean, with the exception of when I was little and explaining period sure. stuff before I had had my own period. Yeah. But in general, it, it's something that has felt pretty congruent to my own journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How, how, is, uh, how is being a, a sex educator for, we'll say, I don't know, th- th- three million years, um, well, how has that like affected your own like personal sex and dating life? Um, it, it hasn't really affected it in a significant way just because I, I got married right at the beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not been something where I've had to date as a sex person, like right. where many of my colleagues talk about this is, you know, when, when do they disclose that they work in sex? Like a, a one, one friend of mine was talking about a tinder date that she had and how she you know she has like a rule that she doesn't bring up the fact that she runs a sex website until at least the second date really on my tinder profile I, I, at this point i wrote in a, uh i have a i have a sex podcast i'm not bragging it's just a disclaimer i, mean, I, just... <laughs> I think that's a fair warning right yeah. <laughs> well it's, i mean it sounds like the way you're approaching it in your in your relationships and like and having that be so upfront in your Tinder profile is, is being kind of a beacon of permission. Like this is a phrase that I use a lot and we talk about this a lot in sex geekdom mm-hmm. to that you are a safe person to have those conversations with. Right. And I think that's, I think that's really important. And that's a lot of how people get inevitably how people get their sex information is through friends Yeah, and for, for better or worse, like sometimes that's not always <sighs> the best approach, but at the very least, I mean, if your friends can foster a safe environment to, mm. to make space for those conversations and that they're not going to shame you for having them or, or judge you or something like that. I or think if like you have powerful. informed friends, it yeah. helps like the more informed people get, the more informed friends there are. And then you can learn, you're, you're more likely to learn from someone who's closer to right than Google. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, yeah. A lot of, the, a lot of the sex geeks I talk to like can relate to this idea of being, you know, quote that friend unquote in their group of friends that everybody turns to for sex information. And right. It's a powerful and important role. 
with great power. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It comes great responsibility for having sexual literacy in your, in your internet searches. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, I know it's, but I, I think I also have to disclose because between like comedy and this, like you Google me, this is first page, right? Uh, which I'm sure, uh, confuses my dad's friends a lot. Uh, <laughs> oh man. I'm junior. If you Google me and find an old guy in a suit, that's my dad. I'm, I'm the junior. So uh, there, I remember <laughs> I got a call. So I, I, I interviewed Sarah J, the, the porn star, right? And uh-huh. um, we talked in Vegas. We I did a shoot that she was in. I was I was in it. Um, I like I did things happened, right? But it was only as a trade. It was like, okay, I'll do your porno. You do my podcast, kind of like, <laughs> right? <laughs> Listen, I don't fly to Vegas just to do pornos unless I'm getting an episode out of it. Uh, but I go, and so then, like a couple weeks later, her her episode's out, and I get a phone call from my dad after work. He's like, "Billy, were you in a porno?" <laughs> I was, I was like, "Hey, dad," and then that, and I'm like, oh, "Apparently, his buddies were like googling him." And then I, my show showed up, and the most recent episode was me saying, "So I just got back from Vegas, where I was in a porn," and. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, fun family conversation. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> family. <laughs> there's a there's another Kate McCombs that lives in New York City, and okay, I got. This, what does she do? Uh, she works in theater. Um, oh come on, she kid. But I I got this I got this hilarious Twitter message from her that her uncle found my website and then pranked her grandfather, convinced him that she had changed careers. <laughs> Wait, and, what, was the grandfather disappointed or not? Oh, he was because, like terrified. He was really? like, oh my God, what is she doing? Or they're like, oh man, we thought it was bad she wanted to be an actor. And now <laughs> it's even worse. So you like vaguely look alike, like, you know, white with brunette hair. Right, you know, right. it's, it was, it was enough to, enough to convince an old man that we were doing. Anyway, it was really funny. And she had a really good sense of humor about it. But a, a little mistaken identity. Right. <laughs> Wait, so now I want I want the I want I want story time because before the mics cut out you were about to tell me like how because I asked her like uh, how long you known your husband and like it's complicated and I'm like it's never <laughs> um, okay so you guys met in I'm I'm assuming in high school uh, actually it was well after we got together after se- high school. seven when you were learning all the thi- was he in your class yeah, no. was he in your seven year old workshop <laughs> listen guys come meet me by the jungle gym I've got some. <laughs> We've got some crayon diagrams. <laughs> that wouldn't have been out of character, but no. Uh. Um, no, we, we didn't date until after high school, but we went to the same high school and grew up in the same small town. And after we started dating, we uh, he was like, oh, I want to show you this old neighborhood where I used to live uh, when I was younger. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And he shows me this house. And I was like, I remember this house. Because I, I, I had used to hang out with one of his neighbors, and we used to get all the neighbor kids to come hang out to it together in the street like it was a super kind of wholesome community like that oh do you guys play like street hockey in the street adorably no one gets hit by a car yeah that kind of thing oh that's i know it's precious (laughs) (laughs) anyway so i remembered this house i was like i remember this house i remember going to the front door with my female friend and seeing if the kid in the house wanted to come play with us and what i remembered was a woman opening the door uh, the mom and the (laughs) the boy that lived there seeing two girls at the door and running in the opposite direction. And I, and I was like, do you remember that? He's like, Oh yeah, that was you. I remember that. It was terrifying that there were girls at my front door. I was like, eh, if you only knew you're, you were going to end up marrying me. Do you guys have like a movie deal? Cause that sounds Aww. adorbs. Aww, thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so you guys have known each other like basically like 
you know, like, oh, like well over a decade. And- yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's really, it's really fun. Cause we've had all these amazing global adventures together. You know, he moved to Australia with me and we grew up in California, but now I live in New York. And- yeah. But you also got like married at that ripe 22. Yeah. Like- Which I think, you know, I mean, it's, it's normally not something that is uh, a recommended thing, like getting <laughs> married before you've really figured out your own stuff. Mm-hmm. But for us, it was really the right choice. Like we, we knew we were ready to commit to each other, but we're, wanting to facilitate each other also having adventures. Totally. You know, we we didn't think that getting married meant settling down and we didn't want to have kids right away or anything like that. We just wanted to have adventures together and that was that's how we've kind of approached our relationship. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks. I think so. I'm pretty happy with I would, it. I would hope you think so. <laughs> I mean, that would be <laughs> It's a bummer to hang out with people who are like, "Oh yeah, ball and chain. I, guess, I hate I, being married." I uh, guess I'm married. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of <laughs> sometimes people when you meet other married people Sometimes they try to kind of establish shared reality in that way. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, marriage, such a drag. It's like, eh, I actually really like it. It's really awesome. All right. Well, I'm starting to get to that point where, like, kid, kids I went to high school and college with are, like, starting to get married. And it's like, whoa. Like, yeah. I, I just got off my parents' health insurance. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> I can only now rent a car by myself. What can <laughs> Oh, that was one of my favorite age milestones, like, being able to rent a car. That just uh-huh. felt like such independence. Yeah, until I realized how much it costs to rent a car in New York City. Yeah, that's pretty intense. So I'm trying to like do road gigs in the Midwest, and I'm like, well, how much? I'm like, like I'm if I want to get paid a hundred dollars to go to fucking Ohio, it's going to cost me like eighty just to drive. I was like, what? But no fun. But at least you can. You have the autonomy to do, I do. that now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. that last like fun milestone, like that's and then the next milestone for me is like what, the age where i get my prostate checked it's really in, <laughs> not much in between not so much in between from here to like 34 35 it's nothing fun yeah no not so much i mean i i really enjoyed turning 30 though i felt mm-hmm. like a big you are 30 right i'm it's, 30 okay, i turned okay. i turned 30 last year okay. and it felt like a big sh- uh, shift into just having permission to not care quite as much about what other people think in terms of my being cool or not mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I've never felt particularly cool. I feel like nerdy. Um. Sex nerd. Sex nerd. You know what? But the nerdy ones were always seem to be the one who are the most sexual. Is why I seem. Oh, in so my, true. In my like, going to like parties or like just meeting people in alternative lifestyles, it's the geeks and the nerds who seem to be the kinkiest, craziest, and wildest. Yeah. Like they have way more interesting sex lives <laughs> than the than the high school football quarterback. You know, it's like. Yep. Yep, I think that's. Did you see the movie Mean Girls? I've seen like pieces. I know I'm a bad person. There's, I haven't watched it, but you you'd, you'd enjoy it. It's pretty funny. There's there's a scene in it where they're describing the different cliques, and one of them is the the sexually active band geeks, which I just right, thought was so right. funny. It's like, you know, they're not the popular kids, but they're going on all those band trips together and getting curious. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I mean, like I saw American Pie. You know, right. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the wildest. Uh, we, we, which clique were you in in high school? Ah. Uh, I don't know if I really was in one particular, like I had Mm. friends in lots of different groups, but like I kind of hung out with the theater kids, even though I wasn't really in theater and you like went to all the shows. Yeah. Like if there's one person in the audience, it was you and you were clapping really emphatically. Right. Exactly. (laughs) But I took like honors classes and stuff. So I was kind of nerdy and yeah. All right. Okay. (laughs) So you did, you did your master's program in, in Australia. Was there like, are there, I've never been to Australia. Um, I've only made out with a couple Australians, so mm. I don't really have frame of reference. Is there is there um, different like sensibilities in the way they have like towards sexuality there or their sex ed in Australia versus 
the United States? Yeah, I would definitely say it's different. The The differences are more subtle than, say, like the U.S. and Amsterdam, or, you know, the Netherlands. Like, right. the, it's not quite as night and day as that. But uh, one of the things that's quite different in Australia there is the less, there's less religiosity there. Uh-huh. So I think there's the the kind of conservative shame, religiously motivated baggage is less there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, in their sex ed is better there, but it's not dramatically better. Mm-hmm. So it's the, the differences are more subtle. Like one of the things that Australia does way better in terms of sexual health is just their health care. Uh, like young people can get access to the universal healthcare system there at a pretty young age and can go and get their own STI testing without their parents knowing and can get birth control without their parents knowing mm. things like that are considerably more sophisticated there. So and they're a little more pragmatic and, and reasonable. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Well, and it's also just economically pragmatic. Like the, when the government pays for healthcare, if well, don't, don't try to explain that to <laughs> red people here. It doesn't want to seem to work. Can't get through them with logic and reason. It was it was an interesting experience. Like I, you know, got healthcare in that country, and like there were no like death panels or whatever, and like I could always get into my doctor, and he was great. Mm-hmm. I had this amazing sex positive doctor there that all of the sex geeks in Melbourne went to. He was like the the ones who were you know married and had kids, or the ones that were kinky and queer, all went to the same guy because he was just super sex positive and awesome. I get kind of like that too right now. So I'm at the place where I'm trying to like I need to sometimes go to a doctor, and I'm thinking like. I should try to, and, and same thing like if I want to see a shrink, I'm thinking like, I, I, you almost want to find someone who's at least sex positive or whatever, because yeah. it's, you know, you don't want someone who's just going to hear like, oh, you, ha- you believe in an alternative relationship strategy? Well, maybe that's why you're single. Maybe you need to rethink that. Let's see where that's from. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, do you, have you, did you ever find that hard to find that, uh, that type of doctor or person or whatever? Well, I mean, I, I have- or do it for your friends. Cause I mean, like, again, I don't, I don't know what you're into and whatnot. I'm not going to ask, but it's like, you know, it doesn't seem like. It's as much that will concern the doc versus the person who's like, yeah, well, I'm Polly and I have two girlfriends and a boyfriend and I'm fluid bonded with these people and not with those. And we're very responsible. And you want someone who is not going to just hear red, red alarms. Exactly. You want to you you want to not have to give your doctor an education. Right. You just want to be able to get the health care you need. Totally. I mean, the way the way I found my doctor was through Facebook. You know, I just what I mean. It was, it was the sex geek Zuckerberg is uh, right. Really it was, expanding. <laughs> it's just like, hey, folks, I want an awesome doctor who's um, empathetic and cool and pleasant and you know, and relatively sex positive. And anyway, and they like a bunch of different people recommended the same guy, and so I went to this guy, and it was great. Okay, yeah, that sounds like uh, sounds like with comedians, there's this, there's this couple that they're both um, they're both. I don't know if they're psychiatrists. Like, I think they're both psychologists. Uh, and, and it's like every, like a bunch of comedians in New York City go to the one of the two of the couple for therapy uh-huh. because they work on sliding scale and they like understand comics. Right. They have so many clients. So like you don't have to like, you don't have to teach them about the lifestyle. They don't have, you don't have to tell them, no, this is not me, whatever this is. They, they get it. And so you can use shorthand with them. And so if you ask like, a lot of comedians in New York, like, hey, and when there's a cheap therapist, they'll probably recommend this couple. That's fascinating. Uh, <laughs> but it makes total sense when you have that background that you don't have to explain. And yeah, just, you can walk and be like, listen, care. I'm fucked yeah. up. Okay. Just like all <laughs> yeah. your other comic clients. Now let's get into it. Here, I'll send you my five minute reel and then you can, we can go from there. <laughs> Is it like dream analysis? It's like shtick analysis? Yeah. It's like, like well, you know what, what? What I took from your bit about your mother was. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating, the insight you could get into somebody's psyche. 
you know, from their comic book. That's I mean, weird. unless they do observational comedy, it's not personal stuff. So, you know, yeah. it's all like Weight Watchers and gambling and orgy jokes and my parents. Yeah, right. that's my life pretty much, you know, <laughs> if we had put it into a small box. <laughs> That's awesome that like using the like using the social networks to to share the good resources around. I, I mean, I see a lot of that happening in sex geekdom, like because mm-hmm. I see all of the Facebook groups for all the hubs internationally, right. and occasionally people use it to share resources like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's awesome. Like when you can have that understanding and and yeah, shared reality with your providers. Absolutely, absolutely. So you do you you have done still kind of do these workshops on like you know safer sex practices and SDIs and what what. What do you think is the most common misconception you've run into about STIs or like about a particular one? I think the biggest misconception about STIs is that they they should have symptoms. I mean, it's it's amazing to me how often people don't know that the overwhelming majority of STIs mm-hmm. are asymptomatic or at least have asymptomatic stages. Right. And this is why I I am very clear and explicit about why I don't show pictures of you know, oozing sores on genitals when I do my talks on STIs. Like my approach to teaching about STIs, the workshops I do now is, is really clearly about how to talk about them without making it all about shame. Mm -hmm. Because the overwhelming majority of STI education out there is about like, look at these horrible diseases. Don't get these. These are going to be the worst thing that ever happened to you. Make sure you wear a condom or else you're going to be this diseased, horrible, dirty person, which I think is really fucked up, honestly. Mm -hmm. So I teach about them as just a, these exist this is the risk factors for them. This is how they're spread. This is how you can avoid spreading them. Um, and this is what to expect from them and, mm. you know, emphasizing the importance of testing and things like that. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that, that, that not understanding the asymptomatic thing, like, Oh, my genitals look fine. I must not have anything. That thing. Yeah. I had, um, I, I've only had two like legit scares where like I had someone like contact me and be like, Hey, mm-hmm. I got this. You should go. And, and more recently I was a few months ago, you know, I had like, um, a gonorrhea scale. This, this girl, she, um, I met up with on Reddit once and all we did was like, we went down to each other and then she tells me, Hey, I tested positive for chlamydia, uh, for, for gonorrhea, uh, genitally. And I'd only been with, I had previously gotten tested. So it's only like you were this other guy who I had sex with and, you should go. I was like, okay. And I go and I get the panel and it's fine. But then I realized that I, she's like, no, you should, I didn't realize I was supposed to get tested for oral gonorrhea. Cause yep. I, all I did was go down on her. So it, mo- it, it wouldn't be downstairs most likely for me if anywhere I would have gotten it or given it orally. So I, and, and doctor, they don't naturally do that. I had no, to go back. I had to go back and request it. And they didn't charge me the second time. Cause he, if he had even asked for my history of why I was there, he would have known. I had one of those doctors. He came in, uh-huh. he was in the room for about 45 seconds. So he said, well, I met, I met the patient. I shook his hand and everything. Uh, I had patient contact, <laughs> tick, but box did not, ticked. didn't really ask anything. And, and had I explained what the situation was, was like, Oh, I should probably also swab you. And I had never been swabbed for chlamydia or, or, uh, or gonorrhea orally. Never had that done before. Cause I didn't even know there was a thing you had to do. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I luckily, um, we swung and we missed. It was happy days. Um, but yeah, I had no idea. And, and I thought I was like, and listen, I, I know I have a shit ton left to learn, but I always thought at least on that front, I knew a decent chunk and and that still still things and shit to learn on the on the SDI front. Yeah, I mean yeah. that that's a that's an incredible teachable moment to share cuz yeah. I, I I that's another that would be another thing that I would say is a really common misconception is that people think that it will only show up in one place. Right. 
And gonorrhea likes to hang out in the throat. Mm -hmm. Like that's a thing. And no one really, and people don't even really do their research like until they think, like no one learns about herpes until they think they have herpes. Even right. if they don't, they they only start doing all the research once they're like, wait, I think this is a thing or whatever. Once it's you panic know? time. Once right? it's panic time, then yeah. they check out Wikipedia. And <laughs> right. I mean, that's exactly what, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm trying to avoid. Like right. when I teach people, it's like, know about this stuff because like part of being a sexually literate grown up is about knowing about this stuff yeah. and not being terrified of it, just being aware. aware. Yeah. And then you go forward with your assumed risks. Um, if you're going to go have casual sex or not, if you don't and yep, but make you know, also make sure you get like, where, like, are there places people should avoid? And I listen, I could answer this question a little bit, but I'm going to let you do it. Wait, what, where's somewhere people should avoid when looking for STI info? Oh, God, Yahoo Answers. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say that um, San Francisco Sex Information, um, I know that at some point, I don't know if they're still doing this, they they are like an amazing source of fabulous sex information. This is where? San Francisco is just sex like their... They have a switchboard and an email service. Oh. That you can you can email them any sex question or call them during their they hours. Yeah, okay. it's kind of old school. Yeah. and But their staff are all really well trained and they're like great evidence-based sex ed. Um, but I remember that they were at some point going on to Yahoo Answers and answering sex ed queries in a more accurate way. But as a general rule, yeah. that's a really bad source of sex <laughs> right, ed. Right, right. Yeah, STI information. I mean, the CDC is a great site to look at. Theirs for, is nice and clean, too. It's yeah. very easy to jump from like disease to disease. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, scarletine is great. Well, I was saying before, what, uh, what are the, th if there's like three, if somebody wants to be like, okay, I want to I wanna get educated, uh, I, can't, mm -hmm. I can't make your workshop. Uh, I live in Montana. So what where what are like three sites you think someone should read one thing from every week? If someone's like, I'm gonna read an article once a week from three sites to teach myself. What are like the three? A Scarlet Teen seems to be obvious one. Yeah, I mean that's just like super comprehensive about STIs and you know, biology, safer sex, all of that. Right. All of that good stuff. And a lot about relationships as well. Mm. Um, I'm a really big fan of Justin Lay Miller's site. It's the um, sex psychology. Um, I can't remember the exact URL, but I, I retweet his stuff all the time. Cause it's Justin Lame L E H M I L L E R. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's got awesome, super sex geeky articles that I really enjoy. Um, but I, I would say the other, the other site is, uh, Lindsay Doe's explanations. Her, oh. her, her YouTube channel is amazing and super evidence-based. Like she really researches her stuff and, and she's also just adorable and entertaining. And she is adorable. She yeah. is. She's a lovely human being. She I seems very her. bubbly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. And then obviously your website, um, oh, it's katemccombs.com, right? Yep. Katemccombs.com. M-C-C-O-M-B-S.com. Yep. Yeah. So I, I blog about mostly about sexual communication and pleasure and things like that. Yeah. Okay. So, so, hey, kitty. Hey, cat. <laughs> Mr. Sulu's come to see you. Na name's Mr. Sulu? Yeah. Your your Star Trek gal? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He um when are, he when he sex conferences are not the only cons you're going yeah. to. <laughs> I've never actually been to a Star no? Trek convention. It's a it's a bucket list item. Ah. But yeah. When he came when he when we first brought him home, he just hid in the closet, and then he came out of the closet. And he's being all <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> he came out of the closet all fabulous. <laughs> so my like, cat, my cat did. <laughs> so what what are we what are we gonna name him? Uh, how about Mr. Sulu? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. He so, likes you. <laughs> I, I like him. 
happens. I like cats I don't have to live with um, because I have there's been women I couldn't date because they were allergic to cats. Yeah. And my roommate had a cat. And so it just became a deal breaker. Yeah. That limits uh, your options. Yeah. But I like cats that don't have to live with me. Yeah. That's fine. Like if there could be a cat that lives outside my place, you know, like right outside, like in the tree. <laughs> like I can, I can open my window and pet it, and then the clothes, and that's it. You could go to a cat cafe. Have you been to a cat cafe oh, before? Christ, don't tell me that's something. <laughs> I, yeah, I've, yeah, I know. I've read, I've seen, I've seen those blog post titles that there are things. Cat cafes are amazing. You go to the cat cafe. Well, I've I've been to the one in New York once. Okay. The the first one I went to was in Tokyo. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna try not to snicker at all during this. You can you can laugh. It's okay. I like cats. And anyways, but yeah, they have one in New York now. So you just go with your cat and hang out? You you don't bring your cat. They have cats. Oh, that's yeah. way different. Yeah, no. I thought this was so like cat it's not like a dog park. can just come bring their cat and hang. <laughs> and then the cat gets its own seat. And then the waiter, just to be respectful of you and your pet, uh, and say like, would you like me to split your check? Uh, and obviously the person's like, no, it's fine. I'll get this. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, that's why I always thought it no, was. No, it's, it's for people like you who would enjoy hanging out with a cat but don't want to own one. Well, I'm definitely more of a dog guy than a cat guy. It, but like cats, I, like I, I can do a fleeting romances with cats. Dogs uh, for life. Those are your, those yeah. are oh, your, yeah. Yeah, grew up with boxers, so. Oh, boxers, boxers are great, yeah. Oh, my so like, had a boxer. They're sweet yeah, dogs. They're so good. I had two. I won like two, two different stages of life and they were the best. Um, if I ever get a dog again, it'll be a boxer, but. So where where does your where's the career going like where what's next for you what's or is there like a workshop you would like to do is there something that um, you haven't gotten to do yet but is is definitely high on the the career checklist yeah yeah actually I mean there's something besides I'm, changing the world obviously <laughs> besides starting the revolution yeah, yeah. Start the revolution. <laughs> I uh, one of the things that I'm working on in the next six months um, is a workshop specifically around empathy. I, is this I, the desire map? No, this no, is different. Okay, this is different. Um, so in, in a lot of the sexual communication workshops I teach, I do kind of a module about empathy, but I'm wanting to build specifically just an empathy skill building workshop that I offer more broadly. And I've been running these tea and empathy parties in my apartment to other people that I know. And what is also, can you just very, br- I'm going to sound like an idiot. It's fine. I went to college. Um, what, what is the actual definition of empathy? Cause I can never, yeah, I know. I just I asked that question. I'm aware that I asked it. I know it sounds. No, silly, I think that's a completely, completely valid question. It's a valid question for someone who's like 15 and ha- doesn't own a dictionary. You know, it's that's a valid question for them. For <laughs> a grown man who like graduated from NYU, um, and yeah, I should know that word. <laughs> no, no, I think it's valid. I mean, I, I, the way I define empathy is it's about being really emotionally present with someone else's emotional experience. Okay, and you know, it's 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 also about kind of perspective taking like imagining what it is like to be in someone else's shoes Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, but I, I think that one of the misconceptions about empathy is that in order you, you need to have experienced something that someone's gone through in order to feel empathy for them, which I don't think is true. I think, I think really like the core of empathy as a verb, like doing empathy is, is about just, being present and curious about what's going on with someone rather than like offering advice or strategy or trying to fix them in some way. Like this is a dynamic that I see play out in a lot of relationships like romantic and otherwise 
like where someone is talking about something that's really emotional for them and they're having feelings about it. And the other person just goes straight into strategy mode with giving them advice on how to fix it when what the person really wants is just for someone to be present with their feelings and be kind of a mirror. Yeah, yeah. Listen, stop trying to solve. That's so hard because like a girl, whether it's someone I'm seeing or not, or just a friend, they, they're, they're like, here's the thing going on. They're venting. Sometimes I have to stop and be like, hey, um, this is great. I mean, it's not great that it's happening to you, but like it's, I, cool. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, is this like, are you venting because you just need the vent? Or are you venting because you need, you want like my advice or opinion? Yep. Because I don't want to be, you know, I think it's Magic very, question. it's a very natural thing you want to like start answering. Sometimes they were never even asking for answers. They were just trying to say it to people. Yep. Absolutely. Like I have a blog co- blog post called my favorite question. My husband asks me very, <laughs> uh, very much like that. How is that not a book? <laughs> That's a book. Come oh, on. The, what, the chick who like made a sandwich for her husband every day gets a book? That's not? Come on. <laughs> Come on now. It's a, but the, the, way I, the way that he phrases the question is like, do you want empathy or do you want strategy? Okay. But it's like the same thing that you just described, like that idea of you want. He just has smarter words for it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we just, we talk about words a lot. Uh, he's wordy too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I mean, just knowing that difference can just totally metamorphosize people's relationships because I think even if they eventually want strategy, you know, cause I'm sure, I'm sure your advice is very good. And you know, my husband's <laughs> oh. advice is very good, you know, but uh, you know, he's paid all day long to like strategize and do all sorts of stuff like mm-hmm. this at work. Um, but I, I, I never want strategy until after I've been empathized with, if it's something okay. that has an emotional component. And I think, I think a lot of people are that way. They need to feel seen and heard first, and then they can move on to how to fix it or what actions to take. I see. And so these tea and tea and empathy parties. Uh huh. Okay. And so what, what goes down? Does you guys have tea and cry? Uh, Cause like sometimes. I would, I would fit in <laughs> so much. Well, you uh, should come to one sometime. Uh, oh, I'm a, I'm a total crier. Okay. It, me during Inside Out, forget it. It was, <laughs> it was bad. It's like feelings having feelings. I I only felt good because there because everyone in the fucking theater was crying during that one. Even the dude who's like brolicsing right in front of me, I could see he was doing this. Yep. I was like, okay, it's it's just fine. One of my friends <laughs> has told me that she thinks my my apartment should be Zagat rated as best place in Manhattan to cry. So wait, <laughs> like but no, best but, compliment. But seriously, ever. what are people like? What what's going on actually? Yeah. So the the first bit of it, we just like have tea. Like when people come, like they get their own mug, and I make a bunch of different tea. I love okay. tea. Um. So I like sharing that with people. Uh. And and I can't drink because I have chronic migraines and alcohol triggers my migraines. So I'm okay. like, I'm gonna have a tea party with stuff I can drink. Okay. So people drink tea and it's just kind of a casual. Have a little bit of Jameson. No, I know it's sad, yeah. right? Okay, it's sad. Yeah. Um, but so the first bit's just sort of casual, but then we move into the more workshop component where we I, I usually facilitate an icebreaker where people can introduce themselves, um, and then we break out into small groups and do this empathy skill building game that I've found really helpful and satisfying for people. It's not like a silly game. It's mm-hmm. like a people actually talk about real stuff that's going on for them and get empathic reflection back from the group that sounds fascinating it's really fascinating i mean it's really simple but people leave the workshop just feeling really seen and heard because it's so rare for us to actually have our feelings reflected back to us and have a group of people be super present with something that's going on for us it sounds like my high school i went to like an alternative education uh-huh. boarding school where like we had a lot of seminars a lot of talk about your feelings and whatnot a lot of i can relate with this uh do not give advice but just share your experiences where you felt the same way we had like 
we had like you know seminar guidelines and is very so they were good at some of the soft skills but not with the, the sex only ed. thing they didn't yeah. do was the sex ed it was just, it's absurd because i thought i mean the place is great and all that jazz i think they just like that was the thing they ran out of time to do or they didn't have somebody on staff who was trained to deliver it like, they didn't have anyone common. on staff trained to really do anything but i mean <laughs> Really, it's like people helping people, which is cool. But then lower the tuition. You, you know, right. how, there are not enough uh, psychology degrees to like justify this tuition. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, but so we do, we do a lot of that type of stuff. It sounds very reminiscent of, of my four years in high school. Of you know, we're doing family seminars, and there's someone's father as a thing I can relate to, and I'm he's hearing something from a 15 year old that normally, you know. A 50-year-old man's like, I can't learn something from a 15-year-old. But then it's like, well, he, oh, no, I felt we, we have we have that shared feeling. Right, exactly. The feelings are universal. So empathy, like, that's what was going on the whole time. Okay, exactly. I have a word now. That's exactly, cool. exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I'm hoping that's something, a workshop offering I'm hoping to scale up and offer more broadly in okay. the next six months. Yeah, that's awesome. something I'm really excited about. It's really satisfying work. And I, I think it it's, I've been getting a lot of positive feedback from people when I do this module in my other workshops. I think it, and I think it's meaningful enough to be a standalone workshop. Okay. Have you ever wanted to like be a relationship counselor or something? Is that something you think no. you'd ever like settle into later on in life? It's, it's something that I've thought about. I, but I, I'm, I really love teaching. Like I really love being uh, doing group facilitation work. Uh, and I think I find that just more of a fit for me than the one-on-one work. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean, well, it's, it gets in line with like the whole sex educational, like public health approach, like uh, doing that kind of um, larger upstream stuff rather than the individual stuff. All right. Cool. Well, um, so, so people want to find you, people want to connect, people want to go to a workshop where, where do they go? Like, where do they find Kate McCombs? Well, the my website is kind of my base of operations. It's katemacombs.com. Mm-hmm. And on Instagram, I'm at Kate Answers. And on Twitter, I'm Katecom, K-A-T-E-C-O-M. Okay. Okay. And um and, and there at the website or whatever they can they can find um the blog, they can find your workshops, they can find like what cities you might be in, or they could book you for a workshop. Yep, absolutely. Right? Yep. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, Kate, thank you so much for uh, doing the show. I apologize for the clunkiness. No, uh, it's absolutely my pleasure. <laughs> it's been delightful talking to you. Yeah, oh, yeah. You you have uh, been quite the delight. Um, well, well, uh, yeah. I think that's a good place to end it. Then. Um, Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for say, having me on. Say goodbye to everyone. Bye, everyone. Oh man, what an episode! Whew. So good, so good. Um, Kate McCombs, do check her out over at katemccombs.com. That's M-C-C-O-M-B-S.com. And you can follow her on Twitter at katecom, uh, and then on Instagram over at kateanswers. She blogs and does all that cool stuff, so um, check her out. Uh, and then don't forget to check me out. I'm over on the internet, too. Uh, I'm on Twitter at thebillypersita. Uh, say hello. Use the hashtag ManWhorePodcast. You know, let me know what you think about the show. If you want to say something more privately, you can email me over at ManWhorePod at gmail.com. And if you can uh, contribute at all, please uh, visit Patreon.com slash ManWhorePodcast. Become a patron of the show. You help me improve the podcast for you. You get some rewards for yourself. Really, it's for you through me if you can do it. Uh, otherwise, don't forget to visit manwhorepod.com. Get on that mailing list. Uh, I've got some really fun, awesome news coming up, and uh, you'll be the first to know if you're on it. 
So until next week, everybody, I hope you have a good one. Love the one you're with. Wrap it up, and don't forget, stay slutty. Mm-hmm.